The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. So every new year, I can't help myself. I just have this sense of, all right, this is the year. And I, whether I actually write out a resolution or not, like I have them in my mind. Like this is the year, this is what I'm going to do. And I, I kind of have like, I, I'm going to do it. I can make it happen. I can do it. And kind of this swell of self-sufficiency. Now it, it's January 13th, and maybe some of you have already thrown in the towel, okay? And so I, I want to encourage you uh, this, this morning. I want to encourage us today. Um, and I want to just swell your, your courage and your strength. And, um, and I, I saw a blog this week that I thought was very encouraging. And someone posted on this blog, um, the New Year's resolutions written by children. So they wrote out their New Year's resolutions. And just to encourage you, I wanted to share some of these with you. Okay, let's check out this first one. Um, Joey, 10 years old, my New Year's resolution is to not eat as much sugar, but I probably won't keep it. We know, Joey. We know. Here's this next one. I like this one a lot. I thought this was good. I am going to help doggies like if they are stuck on cliffs. Any five years old. I mean, that's noble right there, okay? We should all help doggies, especially on cliffs, I think. Annie, wherever you are, please check with your parents before you attempt that, okay? This one was good. All right, check this out. I am going to stop picking my nose. It's going to be hard. (laughs) Godspeed, Hadza. And here's the last one. This is my favorite. Will, four years old, I will eat all the cake. (laughs) That is all. It's really simple, and I like that one. It's doable, achievable, it's clear. Just eat all of it. I mean, that's what you're going to do. I like that, Will. So, um, so wherever you're at, so wherever you're at with your particular life, I just, we can't help it, right? I mean, it's this time of year. We just got to say, all right, I'm going to do it, okay? And whether it's like, I've got health goals. I'm going to run 10 miles a week. Okay, I'm going to do it. You know, or, or you say, look, I, I've got, you know, some financial goals or career goals, family goals, relationship goals. It's just there's something about the new year. It's a blank slate, blank canvas to paint on. We say, okay, this year I can do it, okay? And we have this, this self-sufficiency. And so as we're in that kind of mode, we're going into this series called Blank Canvas. It's a new fresh start. We're talking about these core, just the, the, the basic primary colors we need to make sure we put on that canvas, these core things we need to know, that we need to anchor ourselves to, and especially today, this, as we're saying, okay, I, wanna, I, I can do it this year, okay, well, let's make sure that is anchored to the right truth, anchored on the right foundation. And so I want you to take a look with me at Exodus chapter 15. We're going to look at uh, just the first couple verses of this really powerful, beautiful part of the book of Exodus. Exodus is the second uh, book of the Bible. So if you have a Bible app or a Bible with you, open to Exodus 15. We're going to start in verse 1. Exodus 15, 1. Here's what it says. Then Moses and the people of Israel 
sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The rider, the horse and his rider, he has thrown into the sea. Now this song starts with the word then. So this song is in response to something. So to really appreciate this, we got to understand what just happened in the previous chapter, Exodus 14. It's one of the most memorable, uh, one of the most unbelievable things that happened in Scripture. In fact, I'd be shocked if you, even if you say, look, I don't really have a religious background, I, I bet you've heard of this. It's really unbelievable. And to kind of set it up, we got to roll backwards a little bit. The beginning of Exodus, the story opens up and the people of Israel are enslaved in Egypt. And they are being treated very cruelly. They're being forced to make bricks. They're part of these, this ongoing building program for generations in Egypt where they're building all these monuments and tombs and things like that. And they're being forced into this labor. They're making bricks for generations and treated just terribly, wickedly, cruelly. And finally, God has had enough. He's been waiting for just the right moment. And he raises up a guy named Moses to be his mouthpiece. And he sends Moses to Pharaoh. Moses walks into Pharaoh, who is probably the most powerful man in the known world at the time. And he stands before Pharaoh and he says, God has had enough. You need to let God's people go. Free them. Allow them to be freed from their slavery. Or God is going to declare war against you. Now that should have been pretty intimidating, but Pharaoh's response was, and who's God? Because I've never heard of him. So God begins some surgical military strikes, essentially, on Egypt. They're called plagues. And one at a time, he starts attacking various parts of their society, their economy, the crops, their herds, and mercifully, along the way, he gives Pharaoh a chance to stop it. He says, look, I'm just telling you, let my people go. If you don't, this is going to get worse. And Pharaoh, in his arrogance, in his pride, has the audacity to say to creator God, uh, no way. He thinks he can defeat God because he thinks he is God. And so these get worse and worse. And finally, after 10 plagues, he's so broken this empire, this is the most powerful empire in the known world, breaks it finally that Pharaoh says, Please get them out of here. So hundreds of thousands of Israelites leave out of Egypt. And God tells them something very strange along the way. He says, hey, before you leave Israel, I want you to go knock on the door of your Egyptian neighbors and ask them, hey, um, can I have all your valuables? And uh, they're like, okay. And they did it. And all the Egyptians were like, yeah, that's a good idea. Here you go. Here's all my gold, jewelry. Here, here's all of it. So essentially, God wanted them to leave Egypt, having seen that he had defeated this empire and plundered it without Israel ever having to lift a finger. They walk out of Egypt, they travel a couple uh, days into the wilderness, they get to the Red Sea, and all of a sudden they hear a rumbling. They look back towards Egypt, they see a dust cloud kicking up because what had happened is Pharaoh had changed his mind and he had just unleashed his military to chase them down 
which is the, the most elite, powerful military in the known world at the time, the most technologically feared military of the day. They were chasing down this people of brickmakers. And they have their backs towards the Red Sea, and they look to Moses and they say, was, this was your idea? This was your great deliverance idea. You brought us out here, so instead of dying in Egypt, we're just going to die in the wilderness. And then Moses says this in Exodus 14, verse 14, just this powerful statement. He says, the Lord will fight for you. You only have to keep silent. They're just going to need to watch. Moses turns around, he raises his staff, and something unbelievably miraculous happens with the Red Sea. It's, one of the, it's just one of those things where God says, yeah, I know I made the universe and there's these patterns on how it operates. You call them scientific laws. There's just these patterns that I have that I run. But every now and then I just reach in and just do things a little bit differently. You call it supernatural. And every now and then I just reach in. And this was one of those crazy supernatural moments. You say, yeah, like, I just don't really believe in supernatural stuff. Well, if you believe in a God who's all-powerful, then logically supernatural stuff is on the table. It's logically possible. He's just reaching in to his creation to do something crazy. The Bible's not saying this happens all the time. It's saying this is pretty strange. Look what happened. Moses put out his staff and the Red Sea parts so that dry land appears, and there's this wall of just sea, of just ocean wall. And they walk through, Israel just uh, empties through the sea. They walk through this channel to the other side. But it's a trap because Pharaoh's army comes in after him. And once Israel gets safe and the last part of Pharaoh's elite army gets into between those two walls, they collapse and they swallow up the greatest army on the earth. What did God just do? He single-handedly defeated this army. And did you notice how he did it? It wasn't much of a fight, was it? Like there wasn't a lot of back and forth. It was one move. God decided to do it in one move. He could have just vaporized them. He chose drowning in this case. He wanted them to see it. They walked into the sea and in one move he's like, yeah, they're done. I wanted you to witness that with your, I wanted you just to see it. So Israel said, we need to sing a song about this. And we get to, to chapter 15. Let me just start at verse 1 again. Look what it says. <clears throat> then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. This is a powerful song. It's a war song. Do you see this? And I want to just look at two things. We're not, we don't have time to read through the whole song. I just want you to see a couple things out of the beginning of this song. The first thing is I love that it begins with them saying, I will sing. Do you notice there's something about um, singing that it's not like just simply like a cultural phenomenon singing? 
Like you could go to any culture at any time in history, anywhere in the world, and they sing. You'd never go to a culture and start singing and they're like, what are you, what are you doing with your voice? Okay, that's bizarre. Everybody sings. It's, this, it's a reflex of humanity. We sing. We sing to remember things. We, we sing to celebrate things. Have you ever stopped to think about why we sing every week as a church? In fact, why every generation of Christians sing as part of what they do when they come together? It's actually something that the Bible commands us to do. Do you realize when we sing together, we are, it's out of response to the scripture that commands us. It says, sing to the Lord. It commands us to do that. We are responding to sing to the Lord. Why do we do that? We do it because every week there's a loop going in, in our brain. It's a loop of, of lies that we're trying to fight through things we say about ourselves, about our failures, about our identity. And, and there's an onslaught from, from our society, from our culture of, of lies, of what to do to fix that and who you really are and how to think about yourself. And we have these lies and we enter in and we come together and we sing. What are we doing? We're interrupting those lies. We're stopping to sing truth. We're reminding ourselves of truth. And we sing it back to God. It's really an offering to God but it does something for us. It's not just to make us like, feel nice. I mean, why would we do that? That would be silly to just make us feel nice. We're declaring truths as an offering back to God. We're declaring it to ourselves to interrupt that loop of lies, and we're doing it through song as a reflex of celebration. And remember something. You know how like, when you learned the ABCs, you learned it to song? Right? Please don't make me sing it, right? Do we learn the ABCs to song, right? Okay, okay, thank you. That was close. All right, you, you, when your kids are a little older in elementary school, you know, maybe they learn the states or the presidents like to song. We do that to remember something. So we sing these truths because we need to hold on to those truths in the face of lies. Now, there's this other kind of bizarre phenomenon to me that there's some guys, man, I'm just going to speak to you for a second. There are some men that for some reason think like singing is like, well, I mean, guys don't sing. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't sing. My wife sings. I don't, I don't sing, you know. And I don't, I don't understand that. You're like, well, men don't sing. I mean, yes, you do. You do sing. You sing when your team scores a touchdown. And all of a sudden, you're like hugging some stranger, weeping, okay, like a sissy. And you start singing some song that's from the 1960s, okay? Okay, when your team wins the championship, you sing a song by Queen, okay? We are the champions, okay? Choked up like a schoolgirl with your arms around people, okay? Like, men, we, we sing. All humans do that. That is a reflex of humanity. I wonder if sometimes men, we, we come to church and we just don't believe in the power of what it is we're singing, like, church, we're commanded to do that. that. That's why what we do, I think sometimes we think like the songs at the beginning of a service are like the previews for the movie. No, get, we, we need to be here. The, these songs have been prayed over. 
been thought through. It's from the Lord. Assume the songs are the truths from God that you need to hear and remind yourself of. He wants to start the transformation process in your life the moment you walk in here together. All of those. We sing. And I want you to see what they're singing. A war song. Their reflex is to sing a war song. Did you see this? Did you see what it said in verse 3? The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. This is telling us something about God. He's a man of war. And if you're thinking like that purple jellyfish, okay, that, that's not what we mean here, okay? Saying the Lord is a warrior. Okay, what we learn from all the way back in Genesis 1 is that when he makes man and woman, it says he made man and woman in his image. And so that means the things we associate with femininity and the things we associate with masculinity are both a reflection of Almighty God. And so ladies, the things that we associate with femininity, this, the strength, ladies, that you have that's so often beautifully expressed through, through the consistency of your love and your patience and wisdom and gentleness and kindness. It's a reflection of, of God. We celebrate those things, right? We, we love the idea of God taking us under his wings. We love the idea of Jesus as a shepherd who, who takes the lamb. We actually even call Jesus things like he's the lily of the valley, the scripture says. He's the rose of Sharon. Like God is a reflection, like femininity is a reflection of God. But I wonder if sometimes we forget and don't celebrate as much that the things that are masculine are a reflection of God. He, he's a warrior. So my, my son, he's three and I, I think he got, like, an extra dose of testosterone, okay? And recently, um, just recently, I had to have a conversation based on an incident that happened about when the appropriate time to punch someone is, okay? And it wasn't, the conversation wasn't a matter of, like, whether or not to punch someone. Like, I know there's going to be punching, so I'm just trying to channel it in the right direction. And so I said, buddy, okay, you're a protector, son. You protect people. If someone's hurting or in trouble... That's when you fight for them. It's not when you're mad. It's not just when you're hurt. You're a protector and channeling that strength. What is that? He's being a reflect, he's a reflection of God. My, my daughter, she, she fell in love with Jesus when, when Rebecca and I would teach her about Jesus as a shepherd and he, he loves you and he cares for you. My son, I've realized that went like right over his head. But we started talking about how uh, Jesus is the biggest and the strongest and the fastest, which I'm not totally sure of the theology of that last one, but anyway, <laughs> he's the biggest and the strongest and the fastest, and he beat all the bad guys. And he, he has, a, he has a, a love, a budding love and respect for Jesus. The, the feminine side reflect God, and the masculine side, men, we've got to pass this to our, our sons, to our children, to the young men. They're a reflection of God, that God is a warrior. This sounds so much more manly in the, in the ancient Hebrew. Can I tell you what it is in Hebrew? When it says God is a man of war, it's Jehovah Ish Milchama. I just want to punch someone when I say that, okay? Ish Milchama. 
you know you want to say that with me, right? Let's say it together. Ish milchama. It's got to get right in your throat there, okay? That's what this is. This is a song. It's a, it's a, it's a war song about Jehovah, Ish milchama. He is the warrior that no army can stand against. And, he's, and he demonstrated that so completely, so dramatically, so easily, that they said, we've got to remember this. And they sang a song that could be remembered forever. Now, we, we think about that and we're like, man, that, that'd be nice just to kind of know that God's going to just fight all your battles for you and you don't have to do anything. You don't have to lift a finger. I mean, that's nice. Must be nice to be Israel. I mean, you don't have to do anything. He's just fighting the battles for you. But you see, that was a, a foundation he was laying. Because he was taking them to the edge of the promised land where they would have to actually go into the battles to fight their enemies. And can you imagine? I mean, these are not soldiers. They're not an army. They don't have any training. Generations of brickmakers. And they, he's about to take them to fight their own battles. And so he, he's laying this as a foundation because look what happens. This is later in the law. This is in Deuteronomy. This is before they get to the promised land. Let me just read you. This is their laws on how Israel is supposed to conduct a battle. And it's pretty interesting. Listen to what it says, Deuteronomy 20. When you go out to war against your enemies and you see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them for the Lord your God is with you who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Now he goes on. This gets crazy. Then the officers shall speak to the, to the people, saying, Is there any man who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in battle and another man dedicate it. And is there any man who has planted a vineyard and has not enjoyed its fruit? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in battle and another man enjoy its fruit. And is there any man who has betrothed a wife and has not taken her? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in battle and another man take her. And the officers shall speak further to the people and say, Is there any man who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house, lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. Okay, what? Pretty much every military in history um, has had one or both of these kind of things. You, at various points, you have to serve in the military, punishable by imprisonment or death. <clears throat> and commonly, if you flee in battle, you are executed. So they keep their people fighting where they have to choose fear of death by execution or fear of battle. So they get them to choose battle. Did you see the Lord's technique? He says, 
you can be confident and strong and courageous because God is going with you. You remember the God who, who did all that in Egypt, who brought you out of Egypt. You remember how strong he is? He's going with you. He's going to fight for you and give you victory. And then the general comes up with the great battle plan. Hey, uh, anyone um, building a house right now? Remodeling a kitchen? You can go back to your house. Yeah, I mean, you, you're, okay, you can go back. Anyone uh, plant a vineyard lately? Uh, I planted an orchard. That's fine. You go back to your house. Okay. Anyone engaged to be married? Yeah, I'm engaged. All right, you, you go on back. You, you two, you go on back. Anyone have a hangnail? You go back too. Anyone who's like afraid at all, like nervous about this army that's here? Remember the army that's bigger, has horses and chariots, which we don't have because we're not even an army? Is anyone afraid? Just go on and go on back home. It's fine. How could there be anyone left? There's a reason why with this people, there are people left. It's the same thing he's going to say, God's going to say to Joshua, in the very beginning before they go and take the land. He says to Joshua, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. And do not, do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Why would this people go into battle and, and say, hey, anyone who's nervous, just go on home. Why would there be anybody left? Because they know Jehovah, Ish, Milchama has a sword drawn and saying, I'm going into battle with you, fighting for you, and ensuring your victory. That's why they're strong and courageous. Their strength and their courage is built on who goes into battle with them. They know who they go into battle with. You know, battles are coming in 2019. You will have battles in 2019. And I'm not being ominous. I mean... You'll have victories, you'll have wins and losses, you'll, you'll have battles. And why do I say that? Because I, I know I will. Because you have every other year you've been alive. I mean, this year, like last year, there will be challenges and battles and adventures. You will have battles coming. And I want to stir you to be strong and courageous. And to know where your strength for those battles come from. And what that foundation is. Um, have you ever heard um, someone quote that verse, he will never give you more than you can handle? You heard someone say that before? There's a problem with that. It's not a verse. It's not in the Bible. You say, wait a minute, I'm pretty sure I've read that in the Bible. I'm pretty sure it's a verse. Well, there actually is a verse in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, where he says, I will not tempt you without a way out. And that's usually the verse that's confused. He says, I will not tempt you without a way out. In other words, I'm not, you, you can't fall into temptation and say, God, it was your fault. It was nothing I could do. That's what that's talking about. It doesn't say in the Bible, he will never give you more than you can handle. In fact, it pretty much promises the opposite. You say, why do we say that? I think a lot of us, you know, might say that because we're well-meaning. We're trying to encourage someone, hey, God's going to get you through it. 
But that phrase, if you think about it, he will never give you more than you can handle, that's essentially saying he will only bring you into battles that you can win on your own strength. The Bible pretty much promises the opposite. He didn't stand in front of Israel and say, hey, when you fight an army that's smaller than you and weaker than you, I know that you're just brick makers. They're a bunch of florists, okay? You can take them. I'm going to send you to fight battles that you can easily handle. Don't worry about it. The Bible promises I will continually send you into battles where you will have to leverage your relationship with me, have the faith to know I am who I say I am. I am God Almighty so that you are forced to lean on my strength. So I, I, did, um, I did a little Google search about um, things that you should look in the mirror and tell yourself every day. And I wanted to get like coaches, life coaches and motivational speakers and kind of hear what they would say. And I did that because I know what I'd find because we know what our culture and our society believes. And that's not a bad practice, by the way, finding truths that you intentionally rehearse every morning. Like that's, that's actually a good practice. But I, I was looking up what I'd find. I want to read you quotes of what I found. These are from life coaches, bloggers, motivational speakers. Here's what they say. We should look in the mirror and say, I can achieve all my dreams. I'm the best. I'm a winner. I know I can. When I need something to believe in, I will start with myself. I won't be afraid. I am good enough. I believe I am very capable of taking care of myself. Anything I can imagine is possible. I am an individual and am perfect the way I am. I can handle this one step at a time. I can do it. I can do anything I set my mind to. I can do anything. I can do this. I keep going because I believe in myself. Do you know what that is? That's a praise and worship session. If I look in the mirror and I declare, I can do it, I'm perfect, I'm good enough, I can do anything I put my mind to. Do you know what I just said? I, I, when I say I can do anything, I'm saying I'm omnipotent. When I say I can put anything I put my mind to, I'm saying I, I'm omniscient, I know everything. When I say things like I'm having a praise and worship session about myself, and I say, I just need to believe in myself more. And you know what I'm doing if I do that? I'm standing on the sand. Because if I say that to myself Monday through Saturday, I'm contradicting what I sing on Sunday. Can I read you what we sang this morning? We said this, Spirit, we need you now. Not, I just need myself because I can do it. I need you, God. We sang this. We said, there is a hope that washes the fear away. I didn't say, I, I, have, I have no fear because I know I can do it. I am my own hope. No, Jesus is my hope. We said this morning, blessed assurance. That assurance is not in myself. Uh, my blessed assurance is in Jesus. We, we sang, all of his promises to me are yes and amen. Not the promises to myself that I make every early January. 
I don't stand on those promises. I stand on the promises of Almighty God that he said before the beginning of time to myself. We said, hallelujah, he is able. Not, I'm going to look in the mirror this morning and say, I am able. That's a, that is a praise and worship session to myself. Can I, can I free you? Can I give you a truth that is more empowering, will make you more stronger, make you more courageous? Then I, I would say to you, put your belief in the almighty God, Jehovah, Ish, Milchamah, who has a sword drawn and wins your battles for you. Put your strength on him. Stand on the rock, Jesus Christ. Christian, do you, do you know, if there's one thing you can walk out of here and remember this, you could write this down, it's do you realize the great battle of the Christian faith is a battle against self-sufficiency. The great battle at the heart of the Christian faith is a battle against self-sufficiency. It's fundamentally, faith is treating God like he's actually God and not saying, I can do it. I just need a little help from God. No, it's saying, congratulations, it's 2019. I can't do it. He can do it. And he is for me, not against me. That's the foundation we stand on. Can I challenge you, maybe instead of looking in the mirror and telling yourself lies, look in the mirror and instead of saying, I am strong enough, I'm strong enough, instead of looking and saying that, can you quote 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. How about maybe looking in the mirror and instead of saying, you know what, I know best, say Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. What if every morning we looked in the mirror and said, instead of I can get through it one step at a time, I said, Psalm 18, 2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. How about instead of looking in the mirror and saying, I'm perfect just the way I am, I say something far more powerful, far greater, like Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you realize what he wants to do through you? So much more than taking you into tiny little battles that are enough that you can do on your strength. He's got bigger plans for you than that. Can we take it a step further? Can we rethink what we preach to our kids because our culture preaches to our children? Like, Can I, can I push on some things? And this is going to sound like heresy which reveals how much we believe this. Can we rethink telling children, just believe in yourself? What are we saying? Can we tell them something so much more powerful? Can we unleash them to far more greatness? Can we say instead of that, can we say believe in God? So I just want to build up their self-esteem. Use this to build up their self-esteem. Son, believe in God because the almighty, most holy, all-powerful creator of all that is, who is beautiful and glorious beyond measure, loves you beyond anything you could possibly imagine. Could we parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, 
educators, teachers, tutors, coaches, principals? Can we rethink what we preach at our children? And can maybe instead of saying to our children something like, you can do whatever you put your mind to. Because you know, honestly, that's not been true of my life. I had some things I put my mind to. When I was eight, I was sure I was going to be the next Mark Duper. And it may come as a surprise to you that I've never been a wide receiver for the Miami Dolphins, okay? Can we anchor their assurance to the rock and not to sand? And say, it's not a matter of can you do anything you put your mind to. Can we tell them something better that unleashes them and empowers them? Can we tell them God wants to do things through you that you cannot imagine? Through his power, which is not by might nor by strength, it's through the power of the Spirit. Child, what he wants to do through you is nothing short of move mountains, make walls come down, break chains, free captives. That's what he wants to do through you. Can we say to children something more powerful than don't give up on your dreams? Could we say something better than that? Can we preach to them, son, daughter, God has a plan for you that is so far greater than anything you can ever dream. Run after God. And be amazed at what he does through you. See, Christian, as we face 2019, a brand new year, it's not a matter of I can do it. That gives us enough courage and strength to get through about January 14th. How about he can do it? The ultimate, mighty, all-powerful warrior has sword drawn, Jehovah Ishmael Hamas says, I'm going into battle to win your battles and fight on your behalf, and no army can stand against me. I'd love for you to join me. Because you have battles coming this year, like every year, and can I tell you something? You can't lose. Victory's assured. You say, well, I mean, I, I, mean, I could lose. You can't lose. You say, well, I mean, I mean, I could die. I mean, this could be my year, 2019, I could die. That would be your greatest victory. You go home to your eternity in the presence of your God. You cannot lose. Can I leave you with this scripture? To remind you of truth? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justified. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, 
in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, that is your courage. That is your strength. Be strong and courageous because you know who goes into the battle with you. Now, as we close in these final moments, I just want to speak to one particular group of you. There's some of you that are sitting here now and you say, look, if I'm honest, the thought of 2019 being my final year on this, in this life raises a question. If I'm honest, you say, I, I, um, I'm not 100% sure I, I'd be going to heaven. I hope. I think. I'd like to believe. I'm trying to believe. But I'm just not 100% sure. And if that's where you're at, if that's your honest, I mean, please, this is a moment to be honest. If that's kind of where you're at, then what that's probably revealing is that in your mind, getting to heaven has something to do with your own self-sufficiency. You're saying, I'm not sure I've been good enough. I'm not sure I've been Christian enough. I'm not sure I, I understand enough. I'm not sure I pray enough. I'm not sure I give enough. I'm not sure I come to church enough. I'm not sure I'm kind enough. Do you understand what salvation is? It's Jesus, the Lion of Judah, who fought the whole battle for your salvation. And you did not lift a finger. It's not Jesus plus your Christianity. It's not Jesus plus your good works. It's not Jesus plus you trying harder. It's not Jesus plus your generosity or Jesus plus your kindness or Jesus plus your prayers or Jesus plus your scripture memory, Jesus plus your scripture knowledge. It's just Jesus. And he accomplished your salvation. A hundred percent. And if you know that, then you're one hundred percent certain that Jesus' death on the cross took all your sin and his resurrection was his victory over your sin and death and his righteousness is placed on you. It is settled, it is finished and your confidence in Christ is your 100% assurance that you will spend eternity in heaven. So some of you today need to shift your hope in yourself to be good enough. Your hope in yourself to be Christian enough. Your hope in yourself to be religious enough. Or your partial hope in Jesus plus you. You need to eliminate that and sink all of your hopes 100% on Jesus the warrior who accomplished your salvation for you. And not take another step in this life without taking that step. And if that's you, you're wrestling with that. You say, look, I need to do that now. Whether you're online or here, I want to lead you in that prayer. Let's do that now. Would you take a moment and bow your heads and pray? And if, and if you're watching online, just take a, 
a prayer posture, and, and I want to lead you in this prayer. If you're saying, I need to put my assurance in Jesus, who's the only one able to save me, then let's just take that step with a simple prayer. Let me lead you in this prayer. Say these words in your heart to God right here. With your eyes closed, your head bowed, have a quiet moment of honesty with God and just simply say this to God. Repeat these words in your heart. Say, God, thank you for saving me. Jesus, you did it. You did not need me. You saved me with your death on the cross and your resurrection back from the grave. And I know that I too will, lie, will rise and live for eternity in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.